just jumping in to give a quick trigger warning. We do discuss a murder in this episode. So if you decide to skip this episode, then we look forward to you joining us again next week. It was it was only one of 636 murders in New York that year, right? 37 people heard this young lady's cries for help. This article caused a national outrage, contributed to the introduction of the 911 system, uh, behavioural phenomena. One of them is referred to as the bystander effect. Someone else must have called the police by yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Somebody must be going to help that young woman. The it is first order one. one for me is this diffusion of responsibility idea. Don't wait for others to do something about it. You need to take responsibility. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan. And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. So, Mark, I believe you've got a story for us. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Uh, what, what are you going to share today? Well, I'm going to talk about a, a story that is not a very, it's not a great topic, uh, but it does reveal some important insights about human nature. Um, and it occurs in New York City, 1964. Great year. So it's actually the, <laughs> uh, the 13th of March, 1964, to be precise. And it's 3.15 a.m., so the wee hours of the morning. So a young lady called Kitty Genovese, 28 years old, has just uh, driven home from work. She's, uh, she manages a bar. She closed the bar driven home, left the bar about 2.30, driven home, arrived home about 3.15. She didn't realise that on her way home, she'd been noticed by a young man uh, called uh, Winston Mosley, who was uh, about 29 years old, who followed her home. He drove home, followed her home in his car. So she parked about 30 metres from her, uh, the front door of her apartment building. Um, Now she was down a little side street, um, Mosley parked nearby, She's walking towards the front door, realises that Mosley's following her um, and starts running. He starts running towards her, stabs her twice in the back. She's <gasps> screaming. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. And very little happened. Right? She was screaming, um, but uh, no one came to her, her aid. Uh, the police didn't come. And uh, she died about, well, actually, she died about uh, 45 minutes later um, uh, on her way to hospital. But a whole bunch of things happened and it didn't happen. And one of the things that, that, that happened was that it was, it was only one of 636 murders in New York that year, right? Like, I just, it blows my mind that many yeah. murders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right? crazy, so, isn't it? So there's nothing, you know, it's just another murder and you know, 636 Imagine being on the, the, the murder squad. <laughs> you wouldn't have any weekends. Anyway, um, not much happened about that, uh, that murder until uh, about a week later when uh, a, a reporter from the New York Times had his regular catch-up with the uh, police commissioner. And uh, you, you know, he, he was looking for juicy stories. And the police commissioner said, uh, well, look, here's one that really just I just don't understand. 37 people heard this young lady's cries for help. No one went to help her. No one called the police. And the article that appeared a couple of days later in the New York Times had the title, 37 who saw murder didn't call the police. 
apathy at stabbing of Queen's woman shocks inspector. This article caused a national outrage. How could all of those people do nothing and let that young woman die? And it led to a whole bunch of research uh, and um, things that were uh, into what was going on. It's claimed that 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 murder contributed to the introduction of the 911 system, Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, came into place about four years later. Yeah, across. It's a case that's really been picked over, hasn't it? I mean, it has been. There's a lot of people looked at it, lots of different angles, and uh, and so despite having nothing happen for the first week or so, after that is probably one of the most uh, uh, examined and researched murders of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wow. So it led led to a bunch of um, phenomena, um, or a number of, of of. uh, behavioral phenomena one of them is referred to as the bystander effect right okay yeah and the more people basically the more people who are looking at an event the less likely it is that anybody's going to do something about it it's a crazy thing isn't it and yeah. uh, it's that it's how that whole feeling people get when they're seeing something unfold and they're just thinking well someone else is going to do something about that yep someone else must have called the police by yeah. now yes yep yeah, yep. somebody must be going to help that young woman. Yes. I remember years ago reading Robert Cialdini's book and he was talking about the concept of social proof in that situation where, you know, you're in an accident. Let's say you have the compass mentors to actually ask for help. He said it's much better rather than just yelling out, asking for general help, to point to someone in the crowd and say, you in the red top, Give, give me a hand, right? Because that person is quite happy to give you a hand. And as soon as they do it, all the other help starts to arrive because yeah. they realize, oh, we need to get in. We need to do something about this. Yeah. And yeah. that reminds me then of that, that famous video of uh, the dancing guy video. Oh, yes. Where yes. this one crazy guy gets up and he's doing this crazy dancing and he just looks like a complete knob until one person goes over and starts doing this crazy dance and then more and more people and then you've got a critical mass, you've got a mob. But it took that first person to go and join him. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. To have the, the guts to get up there and dance on their own. It was, yeah, uh, yeah no, that's a nice one. I love that. It's sort of, yeah. you know, getting that critical mass before change happens. Actually, there's, a lot, there's lots to think about in, mm. in terms of what this story brings up, isn't it? And how change occurs, how, you know, you do need critical mass. How do you... Well, for me, it, it, it's more... It, it's the, the critical mass one is a second order it one. Is, the, it the is. The first a order, order one for me is this diffusion of responsibility idea. Yes, yeah. And it's, it's quite important in organisations as well. Uh, if everybody kind of looks at this a thing and goes, oh, no, somebody else will take care of that. And no one does. Yeah, yeah, but let's go. Let's go back to what do we like about this story? Like, what what do we think helps this story be told? You know, why why is this story something that is being told so many times? Right, in many ways. Um, what do you think, Mark? What are some of the elements in this story that you think people really really appreciate? I won't say like, but appreciate. No, I, I, I don't like. I don't like the story at all. Um, it, it simply re- reveals something interesting. I guess one of the things that, that I like about it is that the mo- like I, I read a lot about a lot of different accounts because there is so much written about it, yeah. um, and that 
I managed to avoid getting stuck into that situation where you tell way too many, de- way more details than are needed to tell the story. Cause there yeah. is, there are layers and layers and layers to this, to this story. And so look, I, I was able to tell it in a, you know, it's pretty compact. So yes. Uh, yeah, I guess that's one thing. Another one is that you know, life and death. Humans are so fascinated by life and death, and yeah, you know, uh, we're drawn to those sort of stories, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things. You know, it adds to our our patterns of or, or repertoire of things to avoid. You know, yeah, where to be careful, what not to do. All are you saying that it's a good idea to avoid getting stabbed with a hunting knife in a uh, an alley in New York? I hope New York's changed a bit (laughs) since then. Um, But, you know, it's so there's that element of it as well. But I think there's another element which is to do with fairness, right, or lack of fairness. And, and, you know, it's one of those moral emotions that we have that, you know, that, of course, we're, there's a certain set of moral emotions that we get drawn to, you know, that we really, really help us decide what we're interested in. And certainly fairness is, is one of those. Um, so I think there's that, that element of as well. Um, and, and in terms of the telling for me, it was, I thought it was a, it was a nice punchy telling of that story. Right. Um, and I liked, you know, some of those little details about where the car was parked and the dates and, it just gave me a sense of plausibility that this actually did happen. Um, I always have a picture for some reason of a, a set of apartment blocks, which are all sort of looking down into a courtyard or something like that. And she's in the middle of that courtyard uh, and people are got their windows looking down into that. I don't know if that's how it is or not, but that's, that's the image that I have in my head when I hear that story. Yeah. So I, I, I looked at a number of photos. Uh, all right. Of the, uh, of, of the, the site. Now, they're not particularly good, um, mm-hmm. and most of them are about that building, what it looks like now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, it's on a, you know, quite a, the, the front is quite a, on a, quite a substantial, you know, it's not an alley that it's on. It's on a decent road. The, you know, they actually referred to it as an alley on uh, the side of the building where she was attacked. Oh, yeah. It's not an alley. It's a re- it's quite a wide little courtyardy thing. So right. your your picture, your mental picture is pretty right. Huh. Yeah, it's like a, it's more like a, a I would call it an arcade. You know, right. Shops right, on right. either side. Oh right, shops and everything. Huh. Yeah. None of them were open, of course. But no, uh, no. But you know, that sort of you know, any other time of day would have been quite a bit of foot traffic. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. So, okay, that's what would we say then is um, elements to you know to improve that story. Um, I, one of the things I wonder is it worth saying in the story that there has a lot been said about this, like almost like a preempted little bit, because I reckon there's an anti-story that will be going through people's minds as you tell it, and that is, oh yes, but you forgot about the the so and so bit, possibly. Right? And, and so maybe just to quell those anti-stories, you could start off by sort of saying, look, this is a complex and involved story with lots of parts, but I'm just going to give you the basic nuts and bolts and then tell the story. And that way they kind of, everyone knows, okay, there's more to this story. And then when yeah. something, someone jumps in and goes, ah, oh, yes, but they won't be saying it, you forgot it. They'll be saying it, oh, I'm going to suggest this other bit that you you missed out on it's a different feeling to the conversation that comes mm-hmm. after it doesn't 
Yeah, uh, and that's right. And I, I certainly uh, uh, would want to avoid implying that this is the whole story. And uh, it totally, it certainly is not. There is, as you say, there's a lot to it. And so for those people that are familiar with it, yes, that, that anti-story is likely. Yes. So, but there will be a lot of people that have never heard that story. They're not familiar with it. You know, psychology isn't their gig. You know, yeah, read. right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but apart from that, I think, you know, it's got names. It's got, you know, I've got a bit of a sense of, you know, what it looked like, you know, the time of day, you know. Did you mention it was in Queens? I think, uh, I don't know if that helps. Some For some people that'll help, you know, in terms of, setting the picture in their mind as to what this place looked like. No, in some of my practice tellings of that, of that uh, I did mention Queens, but I'm not sure I did in that version. Mm, yeah. Okay. No, it's good. But of course, it's always a, a decision about what details you include, what details you don't with a story like this. And again, this is, this is a, a story that is almost infinitely compressible and expandable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So you can unpack the, the, all of this stuff for. Uh, it could an be hour. a day long workshop. <laughs> that's what this story could be. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Now, um, how would you use it in a business setting? Like, you know, this is a pretty full on story. Um, what, you know, what point would you draw out on? What are some of the potential points for this story? Well, for me, the, the, the one that stands out uh, strongly is this. Uh, about taking responsibility. So, and I could imagine a business leader saying, folks, if you see something wrong, you need to do something about it. Don't wait for others to do something about it. You need to take responsibility. Yeah. Let me tell you about something that happened in 1964. Yeah. In fact, I could imagine that some language could develop where you mentioned the bystander effect. And then the leader could sort of say, look, we don't want to be bystanders. Let's not be you bystanders. Know. Let's yeah. not be bystanders. And so it's always connecting people back into that story and, you know, you know, sort of revisit it in some way. So, yeah, I like yeah. that. I really do. Yeah. And so somebody in, who joins the, the, the organisation uh, a couple of years later uh, and, and hears somebody say, don't be a bystander. What, the, what, what do you mean? What's this bystander stuff? Oh, yeah. let me tell you. And yeah. If I could relate that story. Actually, it reminds me... Um, Years ago, we did that project for uh, one of the big mining companies over in Western Australia, and they came up with a, a great way to remember stories, right? They had these uh, cartoons actually developed by Jock McNeish, who's sort of a friend of Anecdote, and Jock uh, did these cartoons where there was a thought bubble, you know, uh, so, the, you know, it would have the image that would bring back the story, and then there's the thought bubble, but the thought bubble was empty, right? And so people go, huh, what? Or, or it was the other way around where they had something in the thought bubble, which was don't be a bystander. And it didn't quite make sense. But the image, just which were just posters on the wall, became a trigger for people to ask that question, right? And I think you know, these things that trigger stories that you want told, I think, is, is super powerful, right? Normally, I don't think many organisations use that as a technique, actually. Yet... The religions of the world absolutely do. I can guarantee uh, yes. that. Yes, the, right? the, uh, the, the glass windows in uh, 100,000 yeah, churches. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, okay. Well, that's so that's one business uh, point. Um, I think they're all kind of related. The one I was thinking of was just you know, more around the social proof side of things. Uh, and that is, you know, 
going back to that idea that you know if, if you want to help you've got to ask for it you got to be specific it's almost like the flip side you know yeah. so uh how to how to get help you know don't be general be specific yep and it does raise the question is it better to use a a negative example like Kitty Genovese yeah. if you wanted to make the point about this right. you know, taking responsibility or asking for whatever yeah. or should you use a positive story mm. about somebody who actually did it yeah and I actually I, I have one that, okay uh, uh, and and it's kind of from the same era um, well it's not nearly the same era but, right. but in, uh, 1984 I think um, uh, sorry 982. Uh, so an Air Florida flight out of uh, uh, Washington, um, bad weather. It's middle of winter, right? Bad weather, freezing, pilot freezing error, cold. freezing cold. And, and the, the, the aircraft crashes into the Potomac River. Um, and, and it's just two miles from the White House. Right? It's in the water, less than two miles from the White House. And the, 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 the plane crashed through the ice and sank to the bottom almost immediately. Oh my god! So uh, there's a couple of hundred people on the flight, and only six people made made it out and got to the surface. But they're in the middle of the Potomac River, right? Um, the uh, they're a long way from the uh, from the, the from the bridge. They're a long way from the uh, from the side of the river, and uh, there's a, because of the bad weather, the emergency services can't get there. Anyway they're in the water for quite some time. And uh, finally a helicopter comes and, and rescues three of the people, leaving another three in the water. Uh, the helicopter comes back and picks up two people. The final person, the sixth person, um, uh, a lady, she is she no longer able, she's so cold, she's been in the water about 20 minutes. She's not able to hang on to the life buy that she has been thrown. Yeah. She is like people watching it oh and like it's freezing cold she's covered in in jet fuel like it's uh, just well, anyway she's yeah, in a bad yeah. way and the bystanders just watching her as she kind of slips are the and, bystanders on the on the on the side of the river yeah they're on, on the on the side of the river they're on the bank oh they're, yeah they're, they're people on the bridge it's people on the bank okay yeah and uh, they're basically just you know watching this woman as she lets go of the uh the life boy and starts to drown yeah, um, yeah. The, the helicopter can't get to her. Everyone's watching until one guy, a guy called Lenny Skultnik, just a yeah, you know, average guy. He was a you know, worked in, in an administrative role in a in a government office, just 20, 26 years old or something like that. Just an average guy. Yep, yep. He goes, stuff this, throws off his jacket, takes off his boots, jumps into the freezing cold water. And starts kind of wading initially, and then swimming out towards uh, this woman, and uh, eventually gets to her. But you know, it's freezing cold. It's very hard. He struggles. He's struggling, and he, he manages to get her back into the into the shallows. Uh, but he's too you know like he's too spent. cold. He's yeah. spent. Yeah. And uh, a fireman jumps into the water uh, up to about his waist and grabs the woman and gets her out, and then. The bystanders, you know, you get, Lenny gets the edge, they drag him out. And uh, the woman saved. Yeah. Wow. Because one person decided to take action. And I find that to be a really cool, uh, yeah, really cool example of 
somebody just taking action. And you could use that as an alternative to the Kitty Genovese way of about taking responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it fear or is it, you know, sort of those positive emotions that just spark action? I suspect it's fear, though. I think people are probably more encouraged by um, failure in some ways. We certainly yeah. learn, learn more lessons out of failure, right? Yeah, look, the, uh, absolutely. I, I do kind of like the, the idea of using them in tandem, though. So yeah, I rather do than too. saying, do I have a choice? You could go, look, here's one way it can happen. Yeah, the Kitty Genovese. But here's another way it could play out. Yeah. Let me tell you about Lenny Skultnik. Actually, another one that springs to mind now we're talking about in the water and, and whatnot is, uh, do you remember that documentary? I think it was like 15, 20-minute documentary about the boat lift. Boat lift. Boat lift. I think it's just called boat lift documentary. If you do a search on YouTube, you'll find it. And um, it's, it, it's, it's narrated by Tom Hanks. It's uh, sort of one of those untold stories around 9-11 where essentially all the boats uh, on the Hudson River and all around Manhattan Island just appear out of nowhere. I mean, essentially there was a, a call yeah, for help, yeah. yep. a call for help that we needed to get people off the island. They didn't really know what was going on. And, oh, my God, it was the most amazing thing. And I tell you what, it makes you feel good about humans to sort of see just how much they were helping each other. Everyone, every person getting off that island, is they're helping the people who are having trouble getting on the boats. And, you know, you just you sort of look at that and you go, you know, in a dire situation, we actually do help each other, don't we? Yeah. So, and, and the, yeah, that boat lift one, just hundreds and hundreds of small boats, you know, people's fishing boats and yeah, they ferry come boats from, and you know, all because because New York is an island and you know they've got Hudson on one side and East River and and around it, you know, on the other side of the Hudson is New Jersey and and so people are just coming, yeah, answering all the call. The place. Yeah, yeah. No. it's not like these are ferries or anything. They're just Joe Blogs and his fishing boat uh, pitching up and taking people off the island. Actually, if you, if, if you ever want to show something at a beginning of a meeting just to get, you know, people, uh, you know, sort of feeling positive about mm. the world, you know, right now it's probably a good thing to do. And um, that boat lift story is a, is a tremendous one. I think it's about 10 minutes long. Yeah. And we'll put the link in the show notes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, mate, that's uh, some good stories there. Um, let's let's give it a rating, right? So the Genovese uh, story, um, for me, that's a, a story that uh, I don't know if I would tell it that that much, actually. Uh, I'm giving it a six, six out of ten. Yep, um, I'm giving a six as well because, again, it's, it's, it's complex. Uh, I wouldn't use it very often. Yep. But I, I can, I, I'm definitely, well, it's already in my story bank, but I... I definitely would use it, but it'll be very, it'd be on low rotation. Right, right. Yes, I think you have to pick your moment with that story. Yeah, but no, no, it's a good one to have in the in the story bank, as you say. Yeah, and I've got it tagged under uh, things like leadership and responsibility. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's great. Fantastic. Now, anything we need to share with people before we finish up, Mark? Uh, uh, well, we've, we've got our forthcoming story-powered data program yes. uh, in, I think, two weeks or maybe, no, one week's time. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So on our on our events page at anecdote.com, uh, anecdote.com forward slash events, we've got two storytelling for leaders programs coming up. And so, yeah, if you're interested in either, if you want to learn how to be more engaging, if you want to learn how to be more successful in your role, right, by being a better communicator, being understood, being authentic, maybe even inspiring people, then uh, <laughs> story is a great tool to help you be more successful. So, Actually, I was listening to, um, there's a podcast called People I Mostly Admire. Uh, it's by, <laughs> it's by uh, Stephen Levitt, who's of the Freakonomics fame, yep. right? And they, he just did, because he's a real data wonk guy, and they just did a survey of their listeners. And they, he, he's concerned that the mathematics that people learn at school never gets used again, you know, in real life. And, and so he wanted to know what are some of the sort of data math type things people would really like and 70 percent of all his respondents said they would like to know how to present their data and communicate it to make a good argument 70 percent so it's 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 a it's a need that people are really looking for so if you want to be able to do that i mean stories are a big part of it yeah and that's what that's part of it yeah that's what we'll be covering yeah we we don't uh, well we have a, a an incredible 18, 18 month kind of running example of of how people uh, um, are, are using and misusing data associated with uh, with COVID. All things, all things COVID. Yes. All things COVID. So it's kind of like this this global case study about how um, how badly mm. we're using data. Yeah, and, and sometimes uh, yeah. and sometimes really well as well. So oh yeah, 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 so, yeah so that's right. You know, there's right. there are some uh, nice lights out there. Well, guys, thank you very much again for, you know, listening in to Anecdotally Speaking. And, of course, tune in next week on Tuesday morning. That's when you – maybe that's Australian time, I should say. I've got to do the calculations there. Yeah, Monday uh, afternoon for uh, – That's for right. And, yeah, for another story and another episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. So bye for now. Anecdotally speaking, was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.